Father, just as we begin to share, as we share, I ask that um, you shed a light into our hearts this morning. Maybe reveal some lies that we have believed and let us be free from those things. We're all so busy with Christmas and plans and presents and wrapping and baking and food. Um, May we set all that aside and take this time right now to just be with you and let you do something in us. We ask in your name, amen. So we are looking these last few weeks at common versus normal. Um, So this morning's title, uh, Common versus Normal, what are we looking at here? Can I get the title slide for me? Yeah, there we go. So um, today's message is alternately titled, The Lord Jesus, or How I Learned to Stop Judging and Forgive My Brother. Um, So common versus normal, what are we looking at? Uh, Normal. Let's just redefine our our definitions here so we know what we're talking about. Normal is the standard of Christianity. When we're talking about this common versus normal, normal is the standard of Christianity. It's walking as Jesus walked. It's living as Jesus lived. Um, It is what Christianity should look like. It's what it does look like. It's what we expect to see when we're looking at our Christian faith and our Christian walk. Common is how the church and we ourselves actually are. There's a difference, right? There's a discrepancy. There's a standard, and then there's the truth, and how it actually works out. And when when Joey was talking about this, and as we've heard these messages these last few weeks, um, what it kept reminding me of is in societies, there are written and unwritten rules. There's the written rules that everybody knows that you were taught, that, that you might find laws on the books, or there's the, everything you have. And then there's the unwritten rules. It's the stuff that is just as strong, but no one ever talks about, nobody ever teaches you, you just kind of know it. Um, let me give you a couple of examples of written versus unwritten rules, um, and I'm going to use some from male culture, okay? From men's culture. Written and unwritten rules. So, here's, here's an unwritten rule. When you pass a guy walking through, driving, walking, or something, you give a head nod. Guys just do this. I never see women do this. I don't think that women do the head nod thing. Men all do. And there are two different nods. You can go up or you can go down. And this is respect. And this is recognition. If I walk by Joey, I see him, but I can't say hi, I go, hey. If I walk by somebody else, just someone on the street or someone else, and I don't necessarily know them, I got to. No one ever taught you that. Dad never sat down and said, look, if you know them, go up. And if you're just saying hi, go down. Okay, nobody ever said that. When they took the boys and the girls in middle school and split them up, that wasn't what we were learning in there. That's not what that was. But it's just one of those unwritten rules. Here's another one from male culture. Um, and I need a volunteer. Can I get a guy? Who can, Scott can volunteer. Can I, get, can I get the picture? There's a slide here and a couple that's got an image. You don't have to stand up. You're, you're, you're good. You can. There's a slide with an image on it here and a few slides. I need you to, you weren't listening. I'm, I'm having you, and I'm waiting for a picture to pop up. There we go, the bathroom. 
You walk into the bathroom. There's one person in that position. Which one do you use? The one next to the door? That's absolutely right. And every guy in here knew that, and you've never been taught that in your life. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. You've never been taught, but you know, if you were to go to the one right next to him, oh, you broke the law. That is not right. That's right. That's right. We, the unwritten rules, we're never taught them. But we know them instinctively. Society enforces these things. So we can... I don't know what you want to do with that image. You all get to look at it for a second. I didn't put a blank slide in there, so you've got, you've got him there. Here's one where written rules and unwritten rules differ. Written rules. What's the speed limit going down the freeway? 70 mile an hour? Whatever it is, let's say it's 70 miles an hour. That's the written rule. That's the law. You can find that in the Ohio Revised Code. How fast can you go down the freeway? 75, easy. Maybe even close to 80. I, I set it at 10 over, and I've never gotten a ticket at 10 over. So, yeah, I know. It doesn't, but that's the unwritten rule. You know no trooper is going to pull you over for doing five miles an hour over, so that's the rule. You can do five, 10 miles an hour over, and you're fine. The unwritten rule is actually, in that case, stronger than the written rule, right? Let's take a more serious one. One from the news that we've had recently. What's been going on with all these men, these executives and journalists and all this stuff, where their women are starting to come out and speak out and they've gotten much more bold about the way that these men have been treating women when they have power over them, the, the lewdness, the crassness. I'm sure every, I don't need to go into a lot of details. You've heard these stories. Take Harvey Weinstein, he was kind of the first one that popped out that was big, but Louis C.K. and a number of people, they've all had these real big, these, these issues. What's the written rule? What do we know? What, what do I, hopefully, as a gentleman, know that you treat women a certain way with respect, and that's how that is? But what was the unwritten rule? These men knew the unwritten rule was, if you have that much power, you can get away with it. Right? Wrong? No. But the unwritten rule was, well, these women, just like the cop who's not going to pull you over, these women aren't going to say anything, so you can get a The unwritten rule was that. If you ask somebody, if you shine a light on it, everybody points to the written rule just the way that the cop pulls you over for doing 72, you, you were in the wrong. But that's shifting now, isn't it? All of a sudden, everybody's like, this unwritten rule of society is no longer acceptable. We're not going there anymore. This is going to change, and it's going to change now. And so all of a sudden, the rules are flipping, and everything's going everywhere. Unwritten rules of a society can be as harmless as speeding and going five miles and over, or they can be absolutely devastating. Sometimes they're simple. Sometimes they're not. Let's take a look at an unwritten rule in the church. Um, we have many unwritten rules here. All of you, if I, I could have walked around before you walked in here, put your names on half your seats. I know where you sit. I know. That's the unwritten rule. You know where you're going to be. Um, the last song is over. The MC stands up here. You sit down. That's the unwritten rule, right? That's where we, we shift there. It's okay to be 15 minutes late here in this church. It's not. I can't tell you how many times, the and I'm just as bad. I follow that unwritten rule as much as anybody else. But for some reason, we've tried to change that culture, change the written rule, 10 o'clock. 
these things can be so ingrained in who we are as, a pers- as people and as a group that it's hard to fight against. The one I want to share with us today is a harmless rule, is a harmful rule. Before I share it, understand this, it is a lie. This rule that we believe in the church is a lie. It's a lie that Satan uses to bind us. And so we're just going to shed some light on that this morning and we're going to talk about it. This rule, that as a person grows or matures in Christ, they will receive less grace for their shortcomings and sins. That as a person grows or matures in Christ, they will receive less grace for their shortcomings and sins. What am I talking about? When someone's first saved or somebody hasn't known Christ yet, we give them a wide berth. We hold a standard. We, we hold the standard of Christ. But, you know, when, especially you think about teenagers who are still learning where they're at, new people into the church who don't know the church. We give them a whole lot of grace and time. But there's kind of this unwritten rule that there reaches a point where you better get it and reach a level where you're at. And the problem is we, this, so basically we expect this kind of direct upward and forward progression in our faith and in our behavior. We expect that we're going to go in one direction and you never go back down. You never slip up, you never fall. Um, if you worked in business, when you have managers and these types of things, you will find that same principle. Um, if somebody is a good worker, they're doing well, they get promoted to a supervisor or a manager, but they're not a good supervisor or a manager, they don't have that skill set, so they're, they're not good at their job, they almost never get to go back down and just be a good worker again. They get up to that level, it doesn't work, they're fired. They're, they're cut off. We've seen that. I saw somebody go to a management in the last year and actually bump back down, first time in 20 years I've ever seen that in corporate culture. And it was only because they had an opening available and he decided to take it. But the point is, is we here as Christians, we do that. So here's the problem. Many of us have felt judgment from other Christians when we have been called out for our sins. So there's something in our life and somebody comes over and confronts us about that. Or even worse, when we have decided to go to somebody and, and confess that, to share that. We've opened up about something that's going on in our lives, or in our hearts, a struggle that we're having. And instead, that was met with condemnation and shame and guilt. It was held against us in some way or another. And others of us simply assume that that's what's going to happen. That that's the lie we believe, that that is the unwritten rule within the church, that that's what's going to happen if you are open and vulnerable and share who you are, that that's the kind of response you're going to get. And so we don't share it. And so what happens is, is we're just not honest about ourselves out of fear and out of pride. These two things begin to control us and enslave us in such a way that we can't be honest about where we're at. A couple weeks ago, Ron shared about accountability. He shared about opening yourself up to somebody so that they can help you grow and move forward. But I can't do that if I can't trust you. If I can't trust somebody because of this 
is it as active in my heart, this is what I believe is gonna happen, then how do I ever have that accountability and that help? So we're gonna spend the rest of our message time this morning and we're gonna look at what is normal. What is the truth? How should all of that be happening? And then let's see how we can respond to each other. Our passage this morning, if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, anything you have is 1 John 1. So if you can turn to 1 John 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. This is sad. I turned 40 last March, and I have noticed in the last two to three weeks, or two to three months, that I need to get to the eye doctor, because I used to be able to read that. Ain't happening this morning, so I'm glad I got it here. (laughs) So 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. These two paragraphs seem to contradict each other. We're going to walk through that. So we'll start with verse 5. Verse 5, the truth. God is light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This has to be the foundation of where we're working. Where are we at? Can we move forward two slides, please? There we go. Thank you very much. This is the message we have in him and declare to you, God is light. We have to start with this simple truth. For the rest of these verses, if we don't have this, we have nothing else to stand on. The argument that gets built here is all based on the fact that God is light, that in him there is no darkness, in him there is no no sin, Truth is truth regardless of your perspective or preference. Oftentimes people like to think, what is truth? What is truth? I don't know what truth is. This is my definition of truth. Truth is truth regardless of your perspective or preference. It is what is and that's it. You can think you have a different opinion. You can have grown up differently and have a different thing. That's all fine and good. You see three people see a car accident. They all see three different perspectives of that same accident. They all think, well, this one was in the wrong. No, this one was in the wrong. But it actually played out a certain way, and there is a truth in that situation. Just because we may not see it doesn't mean it's not. So many times 
we often don't even know that God is light. We're worried about that. We're scared of God. For whatever reason, and pain is going on, so we have to start there. If this statement isn't true, nothing else is true. So let's just remember that as we keep talking. Verses six through seven. We are to live sinless lives. If we came to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we claim to have fellowship, we say, yes, I know Jesus. I walk with him, he walks with me, we're together. This isn't about religion, this is about relationship, so it's me and him together. If we claim to have fellowship and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. In order to be with Jesus, if we are going to walk with Jesus, if we're part of that relationship with him, the standard, the normal, is that we will have sinless lives, that we will strive for that, that we will walk in the light. If we are walking in the darkness, if we are choosing to walk in darkness, we are not in active relationship with Jesus. We may be saved. He has forgiven us our sins, but we're not in that relationship. We're not walking with him if we're choosing, choosing to walk into a path of sin. What does that mean? It can be big. Oftentimes we think of big sins. The secret alcoholic that's lying. The addict, we'll just say addict and cover everything, who's stealing to get the funds and lying and hiding the drinking and these things the adulterer, we think of the big sins. But I can't help but watch the way Jesus lived and I look at my day and I haven't tried to cheat anyone, I haven't cheated on my wife, I haven't had these secret overall things, but I know that my day didn't look the way Jesus' day would have looked had he walked that same day. I have always had a different standard of sin than I hear a lot of people talk about, and I don't know if if that's true or not, but to me, sin is any way in which we miss the mark, any way in which my day would have looked different had Jesus lived my day for me. It's that simple. It doesn't need to be this real big thing. It can just be, you know what, I realized that I, I was embarrassed by something and I didn't speak up. I was scared to share something into somebody's life. I cursed under my breath. This happened at work. The guy was sitting across from me, and I won't, I won't say what I uttered, but a guy was sitting across from me, and he said something that was so profane that somehow it just jumped out of my mouth. So I was, oh, because it just, it shocked me. And the guy sitting across from me goes, we broke Jason. We broke Jason. He cursed. Oh, my goodness. And he was just shocked to hear me say something like that. And I, was, and I, and I heard him. And I'm like, you know, I know myself pretty well. And I, and, I, and I know that I will utter things more often than I want to. And I work to have that standard where I'm sinless, where Jesus would not have uttered that in that moment, but Jason did. It's just little things like that. It's little things like that. This is the standard. This is the standard of Christianity that we're supposed to reach, that we are living sinless lives and living the way Jesus did. Verses 8 through 10, yet we sin, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. 
You're supposed to live a sinless life, but if you say you live a sinless life, you're a liar. You deceive yourself. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and we will forgive our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we're supposed to be confessing them, that means we must have them to confess them, right? I'm not gonna confess to sins I didn't do. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. God is telling us that we're sinners. God is telling us that we're sinners. Here's the thing, and this is what I love about the grace of God. He sets a standard that is the standard. This is where we're supposed to be. He raises the bar high. And yet, in his word, we find time and time again where he recognizes the simple fact that we're not going to hit that. And so he gives us the grace and the forgiveness and the time after time after time to keep going at it and to keep trying. This is what we should expect. How does, this, how does this work? I'm supposed to be sinless, but I'm not sinless. God's word says that if I'm sin, that I'm not walking with him, but if I'm not, but if I am sinning, then that's what's expected. So what, what, where are we at? What is it? Here's the thing. Christianity is not an either-or faith. Christian, we like simple, and we like clear lines. We like to be able to know what we can grasp and hold on to. We have small minds that need it clear and crisp. Happens in the news all the time. We want to be able to divide people on a political spectrum of, oh, you're a liberal, you're a conservative, you two are over there, and there's this huge gap, and I'm just going to divide everybody, and you're over there. And it's not true. We are on this huge range scope, and you, in any, any particular topic, you might fall here, 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 but in our minds, we like to make it nice and simple and be able to define people in a box, and God knows that in the great creation that he created in all of this, he knows that none of you fit in the same box, that we're all different, and we're all going to struggle in different ways, and so Christianity isn't either or, but it's both and. We have to live in that tension. We have to recognize that, yes, the standard for myself is I'm not going to sin, and, but yet I know that I'm going to. And I have to reach out to that and I have to find that. So there's a phrase that I heard on the radio a long time ago. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Hank Hanegraaff. Anybody know Hank Hanegraaff? Remember him? The Bible answer man. He'd be on the radio. He shared this. He said... Set your, keep your standards high, but your expectations low. Your standards high, but your expectations low. What am I talking about? You're driving down the freeway, and the standard, your, the, my, my standard is that I will not cut somebody off. If I'm changing lanes, I'm going to give them room and not just jerk right in front of them. That's my standard, and I try to meet it. My expectation, though, is that somebody else is probably going to cut me off at some point on the way into work this morning. I'm expecting it. It's going to happen. My standard is, is that's not what we do. Sorry. My standard is that's not what we're going to do, but I expect it when it happens. That way... I'm as good a driver as I can possibly be, but when it does, I'm not laying on the horn and waving at them with only part of my hand. 
So <laughs> this is... This is what would happen. If I've got this standard and it's so rigid that never do that, and when somebody does it, they've broken that rule and I'm angry. I'm upset. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not how we're supposed to be. Um, but yet I expect it. But I don't go such to the point where I'm like, well, who cares? Everyone's going to do it. I'll do it anyway. Because if that's the case, we're all dangerous and maniacs on the road, right? We've got to maintain that standard, but expect that we'll fall short. We need to do this with each other. We've got to do this with each other. I'm going to pick on somebody else. Who can I pick on? I'm going to pick on Ryan. Ryan, you're my brother in Christ. I trust you and I trust you to be honest with me in everything because I know you're living up to the standard that Jesus has and that you're always going to be truthful and honest with me. You're never going to lie to me because why would a Christian ever lie and you're supposed to confront me and there's sin in my life in a loving way and you're supposed to come at me and say, hey brother, I hear this, I see this, but you know, I feel God is telling me this. And that's the standard. That's how we should be with each other. But you know what? My expectation is that we have fear in our hearts, that sometimes I don't want to say the thing that I need to say, that sometimes I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings by being honest. Sometimes I'm just embarrassed and I don't want to answer something. So there may be something you need to tell me or something that you've got going on and you lie to me or you don't say it. And I understand that and I get that. The standard's high. The standard is high, but I forgive automatically that you didn't hit that standard because I know we're human. But you're going to tell me anyway. I know you will, Ryan. So We have to be able to offer each other grace and forgiveness for our shortcomings. So let's talk through, in our last few minutes this morning, what is our normal? What does normal look like, given this tension that we have to live between having a sinless life and yet knowing that that's still going to be present in our lives? One, we reject sin. That has to be the standard. Jesus said, you'll find it, you can look in John's 5, 7, and 8, at least three separate times in which he interacted with somebody and he told them, go sin no more. Go sin no more. And we heard that at the beginning of 1 John 1 and the first is, go sin no more. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, they said to reject every kind of evil. And that's the evil around us, and that's the evil within us, to reject sin. Second thing we need to do, we have to acknowledge our sin. Now, this seems kind of backwards, because normally when you're talking to somebody, you're sharing the gospel presentation with somebody, you're trying to help them understand the relationship they should have with sin in a way that they can get the gospel, it starts with acknowledge that you're a sinner, Reject that sin in your life, confess it to God. Those seem kind of backwards. But we have to start with a standard that we know that we're rejecting sin in our lives, and then we have to acknowledge it. Even Paul in Romans 7, in Romans 7, Paul the apostle, verse 15, he said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Do you guys live that way? Do you feel that sometimes? 
The things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things I know I shouldn't do, that's the stuff I do. How many times during that one day that you lived could you have found a place where you wish you'd have done something or you wish you hadn't done something? It's simple. We have to just acknowledge that simple truth that we don't live up to the standard that we wish we lived up to. And I want to point this out. Paul was an apostle, right? An apostle. We like to put people on levels in the church, don't we? Somebody comes in and they're struggling in their life and they've always struggled in their life and we kind of have in mind that they're down here and then there's different people as, they, as you move up and when they get a title, oh, heavens to Betsy, you get a title, that's there. Paul was hand-selected by Jesus, forgiven for what he had done to the church and then spent years what was it, 15, 20 years before he began his missionary journey, just growing and learning and reached this point. And he's out here building these churches, and you know so many people looked at him. And yet he's sitting here going, guys, I'm just like you. I have that same struggle. Don't put me up on a pedestal. Don't do that. So it becomes hard when you reach a certain level or you haven't struggled in a while that now you have something and you have to try to share that with somebody because you think they think you're up here. And that can be just as simple as husbands. Your wives all adore you. They think just you glow in the morning when you wake up. <laughs> and I know you hate to disappoint them because they have no idea of the struggles that you have. <laughs> I wish that were the case. Uh, <laughs> no. You're a church leader. You're a member of the church. People go up to you. The best thing you can do if you're somebody who people look to and they say they've got it all together and if they ever fell, what would happen to me? You know, what, if they can do that, what help do I have? Yeah, exactly. If they can do it, what hope do you have? <laughs> That's where you're going to be. The best thing you can do as somebody who's older, somebody who's walked with Christ for a long time, is be vulnerable and honest with people around you. It will be such a comfort and lowers that pressure. The standard is still high. We never, we never lower that bar to say that it's okay that Christians within the church sin and that's fine. We always strive to allow God to work in our hearts to clean that stuff up. But unless we're honest about the cleaning process, none of us can step forward. Third one, we've rejected our sin, we've acknowledged our sin, now let's confess our sin. Just be honest and share it, be open about it. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins, pray for each other so that you can be healed. You can be healed of that sin and that hold that it has on your life. You can be released from that slavery and that bondage, but you have to share it. You've gotta get it out. Reject, acknowledge, confess, and now, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Do not judge each other's sin. This verse is a mess. Matthew 7. People use it the wrong way all the time. 
1 and 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Too often I hear people say, well, who am I to judge? I'm not supposed to judge. Don't judge. You know, I see that what they're doing and whatever, but I'm not supposed to judge. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to argue this. What it's saying here is that when Joey comes to me and says, brother, I need to share something with you that's been on me this week that I've been struggling with, that I don't go, well, you're the senior pastor. Did we make a mistake in choosing you? Oh, no. 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 I'm not going to put that judgment on him. And I don't expect him to put that judgment on me. When I come to him as an elder and a pastor and I say, Joey, I've got this and I don't know what to do and I'm struggling with with depression and I'm struggling with anxiety and I need, and I'm just, I'm just a panicked mess. Joey, help me. And he doesn't go, well, how can you lead the church if that's where you're at? And we can do that with all of each other. Having an open and honest church and congregation starts with each of us deciding that when someone comes to me with something, I am not gonna respond out of judgment and condemnation and shame but rather I'm gonna make the decision now before any of you ever come to me and hopefully you make the decision before I come to you that when we receive that, we receive that with grace and forgiveness and patience and restoration. Can that be the way that we respond to the sin that is, we know is gonna be here? So, and then we forgive sin. Matthew 18, uh, 21 and 22. We weren't going to read it anyway. Um, It is a parable where they come and um, one of the disciples says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he says, uh, not seven times, but 70 times seven. There is no limit to the amount of grace that we are supposed to give one another. No limit at all. And the reason for that comes in the next bit of the parable in verses 23 through 25. You guys can check that on your own. There in Matthew 18. But the principle there is that we have been forgiven a lot. Jesus has forgiven me of everything. People in this room have forgiven me of many things. My wife is well past 70 times seven. If she hit the line and she should have been, okay, we're done. She'd been marking them off in a workbook back there. Easily, easily. 15 years of marriage, she passed that in year three. And that's being generous. But we've been forgiven much, so we should offer that freedom and that forgiveness to each other. And then, then, when that is how we respond to each other, and that is what we offer to each other, we can be healed. Because we have taken that and responded in such a way that is life-giving and not life-taking that I haven't tried to beat you down because you didn't live up to some standard that I thought you should be living up to, but rather I went, yes. If somebody confesses sin to you, you, is this okay to say? You should celebrate because Satan doesn't have a hold on them in such a way that kept them tight in that bondage. That sin was already there. That sin was already there, and if they hadn't broken free through that, if they'd kept that tight into themselves, 
It would have just eroded them and been death inside. If they come to you in that, you should celebrate and go, oh my goodness, thank you, let's move forward. Let's step forward at this point. Carissa, you ready? We need that healing. We need to be able, like Ron was saying, to have a relationship with each other. Now, I know, I know that just based on personalities and who we all are, that this is not a 100% one-to-one relationship where anybody in this room is going to be able to go to anyone else in this room and have that relationship where they can be honest about some of the deeper things. I get that. But it should be the rule. It should be our normal. That's my standard. My expectation is that's not going to be true for everybody because we've got hurts in our relationships. Our normal is we should be able to have that with us. The common is that you need to be able to have that with a select group of people. Small groups, wonderful way to do it. If you're not involved in one, get in one. Build those relationships. And even then, there's probably only going to be a handful of people that you would then pull aside on a Tuesday morning or whenever and have that. So I want to offer an invitation this morning. This offers three parts. One, you have never received that gift of salvation from Jesus. I'll never believe that in any, in any church, I want to have a church here at Mechanicsburg where there are unbelievers sitting in the seats where people are just drawn in for whatever reason and they're like, I- I'm looking, I'm seeking, I've been invited. So I hope that we're not 100% Christian here this morning. And if that's you and you have never received that gift of salvation, you've never taken that first step where you just said, I am a sinner. I know that I have sin and I have never yet taken that step of rejecting sin of stepping away from it and bending my knee to the authority that Jesus has in his kingdom and just asking him for that forgiveness up front. I invite you to do that this morning. Some of you, as we've talked and as we've shared, I'm hoping that for some of you, the Lord has brought something to mind, something that you've been too scared or too proud to share. And maybe for you, the first step is to just come to the altar and just tell the Lord, Lord, I've been hiding from you. Like Adam and Eve, I am ashamed and I have been hiding in the bushes. And when I heard you call me, I stood, I was in there because I was afraid. You take that step forward this morning and you just do that with him. And then if you want, an elder or somebody else can come and just hear that from you and offer you that forgiveness. But for most of you, that probably isn't what it's going to be. For most of you, it's probably going to be in your seats. Share with somebody else. Just confess a little bit. You've been, I need to just tell you this because you're my brother and our sister and I love you, but I have held this grudge against you and I just want to get it out. And that give that person a chance to receive that and forgive that. I've been struggling with fear. I've been sinning in this way. Whatever it happens to be, anything that's been binding you up and holding you up, let's not carry that forward into this Christmas season, but let's have the opportunity to share that. So I'm going to say a short prayer. I'm going to invite those of you who want to come forward to come forward. I'm going to let you guys linger as long as you want in the seats. 
If after that and we're done, I'll say a quick prayer for our grace for our meal. Lord, I was excited for this message and yet it scares me and I find it hard to share clearly because you do not give us permission to sin. It is not that we should sin so that grace may abound and that we just go that we are a church of sinners and we own that identity in such a way that we don't seek freedom from our sin. So Lord, if that message has come through in any way, I just ask that you stand against it and don't allow that seed to plant in our hearts. Give us freedom. Give us a release from that fear. A mustard seed of courage, Lord, in our hearts to take a risk and to begin a more open, honest, and transparent life where we're able to just be free. And I ask, Lord, that you help us as a congregation, as individuals, release people from judgment and to bring to them acceptance and life and freedom. May we be known as a congregation where it is perfectly fine to be who you are and to take off the masks. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. everybody. Have a wonderful, blessed Christmas.